overwhelmed by paying down debt, saving for emergencies, and investing for retirement? Today, we're going to talk about how to prioritize where your money goes to maximize those returns. Welcome to the Couple Money Podcast, the show where we share stories and advice on building up your marriage and wealth together. I'm Elle Martinez. Support for this podcast comes from Jumpstart Your Marriage and Your Money Masterclass. This course is designed to help you two get on the same page with money, dump your debt faster, and get you on the path to financial freedom. Sign up for the class today and get lifetime access. Just head over to couplemoney.com slash jumpstart. How's the year going for you? For us, it's going pretty well. Feels a little hectic. When we started the year, we had some goals that we wanted to reach, including saving up money to finish this basement. We want to do a family trip outside the country, and we're looking to pay down our mortgage faster. Last week, we got our tax refund, so the money was split between the different goals, and we're making progress. But sometimes, honestly, it feels like we're not making progress as fast as we want. And you might feel the same way. You might have projects, investments, ideas that you want to tackle. But it's tough because you want to do it all now. And that means we have to prioritize where our money goes. Today, as part of a bonus episode, I'm sharing a conversation I had with financial advisor and author Doug McCormick about how to come up with a plan that will help you maximize your returns based on what goals you have as a family. Hope you enjoy. Thank you. And I'm really excited about your book, Family Inc. I'm always fascinated to see how people approach money. And especially with marriage, there's (coughs) different perspectives and circumstances. And you have a unique uh, perspective because of your background. Uh, Doug, do you mind introducing a little bit of um, how you got into finances? Sure. So I'm a little bit of a journeyman, um, meaning that I uh, got into investing as a hobby um, that my dad promoted as a very young man. Um, And then I um, went to uh, the United States Military Academy and actually served in active duty for a number of years and then made a career transition where I went back to business school and then have spent um, some combination of uh, time on Wall Street in an investment bank, working uh, for an investment firm, and now I'm an owner of an investment firm, so I feel like I'm an entrepreneur today. And I think that broad perspective, um, you know, kind of allows me to come at some of these topics from a slightly different vantage point than than much of the advice you'll get out there today. Yeah, and, and that's what I appreciate about your book. It is very detailed-oriented. You have the numbers, you have the stats, but at the same time, Uh, This is coming from a perspective of a family that wants to succeed with their finances and how to approach it like a business. So um, I wanted to talk about a topic that a lot of people have been emailing me about, especially now open enrollment. And they're thinking, okay, let me set myself up for a, a great year in 2018 with finances. And that's with investment, um, contributions for retirement. You know, um, a lot of couples, honestly, are trying to do it all. You know, they know they're supposed to have the emergency fund. They're supposed to have uh, pay down their debt. They're supposed to invest in a 401k, the IRA, and they feel like they're being pulled in so many directions. Uh, But your book goes into having a specific plan 
to help couples, to help families figure out, okay, this is where our priorities are. Uh, so I would kind of be curious if you can give us like a, a high level view, like what are the layers or the steps that families need to take in terms of investments and priorities? Absolutely, Elle. And And first of all, let me say your question hits on the exact reason uh, why I wrote the book and why I came up with the philosophy, because in isolation, there's lots of good advice out there, you know, invest mm-hmm. this way, get this kind of insurance, um, you know, is school a good investment or not? And what I personally struggled with was um, trying to make sense of all that good advice for my own personal circumstances when I had competing demands. Do I invest my money to pay down debt? Do I invest in equities, et cetera? And so the whole premise of the book, Family Inc., is that we're all, in some ways, we could manage our finances like a business manages its finances. Mm-hmm. And if we borrow some of the principles from um, you know, corporate America, we would actually make better decisions. And so with that as kind of the overarching framework where mm-hmm. you're looking at yourself and your family as a business owner and you own two, two assets, really, your labor assets, how you make money at your day job, plus your financial assets, you can really kind of um, help prioritize those choices you make. So I would say in, in terms mm-hmm. of rough framework, the very first thing a family must do is ensure that they don't go out of business. Mm-hmm. And by that, what I mean is take care of the critical insurances. Um, the most, uh, biggest need that families often have that is neglected is, um, uh, disability insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would argue that life insurance is a real critical need as well. And then also umbrella insurance, um, for liability. And those are not insurances that you're paying for to give your family a windfall. If something bad happens, it's really to replace the loss that you experience when someone mm-hmm. passes away or someone is disabled. So first and foremost, in kind of the pyramid of things that you've got to do, it's insurances. Um, for me, then, the second is an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. And I recommend generally three to six months of um, available liquid cash to support yourselves. And that's really based on the belief that life is uncertain mm-hmm. and you've got to be able to protect yourself against financial distress. And you do that with an emergency fund. After that, to your question about um, 401k enrollment, that's clearly the next priority for me. Um, and it's the, the next priority because it's so attractive. And the reason that 401k is so attractive is it's got really attractive tax benefits in terms of deductibility and deferment of taxes. And um, you also often have company matching programs. And so those two things make that a very attractive investment. Um, from there, I go down to pay down debts. Um, okay. And there are different kinds of debts. Some I choose to pay down, some I don't. Yeah, I saw um, that. And, and basically, the, the, the general sense is that if you're paying down a debt, um, I look at it as paying myself. And how mm-hmm. does that money going to perform in the stock markets versus um, just paying it down myself? Obviously, if you're paying down debts, that's a certain return to yourself. Mm-hmm. If you have it in the stock market, there's a little bit of risk. It may go up or down. Makes sense. Makes sense. So I know everyone has like you said, like good advice in isolation. And you recommend like having that emergency fund pretty fully funded before you even start with the other steps. Uh, First family, maybe they feel like would that might delay us uh, saving for retiring or paying down debt for a year until we can get that funded. Uh, Do you see that as a concern or why you, uh, you feel very strongly about having a full emergency fund? Yeah, I would say um, in some cases I've seen families um, create their emergency fund by a home equity loan or availability on a loan or some kind of borrowings. And I think that is acceptable, but usually folks that have those kind of resources 
also have an emergency fund. So um, my view is that the number one thing that families um, struggle with is the cost of financial distress. If you experience bad credit, if you experience a bankruptcy, it's really tough to overcome that. I contrast that to if you approach retirement and you have not saved as much as you'd like, you can always work longer, you can spend less, you can invest more. And so I think there are ways to um, solve the savings problem on the back end that are easier than dealing with financial distress early in a, in a life. Those are some good points. Um, and I noticed, like you had mentioned, some debts you were saying, hey, pay that, those off first. Others you can kind of put off a little longer, like the student loans and the mortgages. And I'm assuming car loans that are low interest. But, uh, for, you know, for a couple that's listening and they're trying to decide, like, what's our measurement? Like, how did you come up with a cutoff point of which loans to pay down faster versus later? Yeah, it's a little bit um, uh, dependent on individual circumstances. But in general, my view is in today's market, um, investors can expect over the long term to achieve four to five percent after tax real returns on their investments. And so if you compare that to um, what your cost of interest is, I think that's a good kind of trade off. So very bottom line, if you are paying interest that's more than five percent, I'd pay it off. Um, and pay yourself that interest rate. And if it's less than that, I'd probably keep it invested in the markets. Great. Great. Now, I loved how you tackled not just what you should do and the numbers and the rationality, but you also address kind of the psychology. You know, we have investment returns and then we kind of have investor returns. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, investment returns are often better than investor returns. And, I, you know, listen, I think it's about um, being real with yourself mm-hmm. and acknowledging um, that there are rational decisions and then there are emotional decisions. And I think you can manage the emotional decisions by educating yourself well. Mm-hmm. But I think understanding some of the biases that go into how we make decisions is a helpful way to, um, you know, ensure that uh, you're making good decisions up front that you can live with when life and the markets do what they do. That's true. So in your experience, has there been like one or two that you see these mistakes that couples make over and over again that sabotage their retirement plans, what they intend to do and what's actually happening? And if so, how could they counteract it? Yeah. So I, I, there are a couple things and I, I would say in many cases, they're not necessarily mistakes, but they're lost opportunities. Um, So these are along those lines of lost opportunity. I think that very successful managers of wealth think about things over a very long-term time horizon. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to get caught up in the day-to-day news cycle of Apple's up a lot today and it's down a lot tomorrow and, and making decisions that are short-term in nature. So I think the big number one piece of advice I have for folks is think long-term. And when I say long-term, I think decades, you know, if you're in your thirties today and you're thinking about retirement you're really talking about a 30 or 40 year period that you have to manage. Um, And when you think long-term, I think you can take a more aggressive um, investment posture in terms of your asset allocation. Mm -hmm. So in general, I think people are underexposed to equities. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if you have a long-term focus, the risk associated with the day-to-day ups and downs diminishes dramatically. Um, And then the last thing I say that people often don't do well is for most families, your number one asset, your labor, and thinking about how to maximize the value of your labor through education and job choices um, is a real important um, 
success factor to financial security. Yeah, I saw that. That was uh, towards the beginning of the book with the first couple of chapters, I think the second and the third, and did a good job of breaking down not just the degrees and the, the differences with income over the lifetime, but I found it fascinating. You broke down also your majors and what you get a degree in and how that can affect uh, your yeah, you know, I think it, it's it's challenging because I think young people call it 18 to 20 mm-hmm. often aren't thinking about their lifetime earnings mm-hmm. trajectory, but they're making decisions that are going to dramatically influence them. And so, you know, I think we, we all owe it to, you know, our youth of today to really help them understand um, which degrees pay more and what kind of college education is a good investment versus not. And I'm not saying that one career is better than mm-hmm. another, but I'm saying that people that are well-informed and understand the financial consequences yeah. of the career choice, you know, that's ideal. And I think you make a good point because they're adults and that's one of the first decisions is, you know, here's the income you could expect and therefore your other choices, whether, you know, you get a more aggressive about scholarships or doing a work study uh, because, you know, you don't want to have a large loan or it's going to take longer to pay it back. Those are considerations to have. And those are good discussions to have as a family before, you know, the financial aid's right in front of you and you're just going to say yes to whatever you have. It's arguably the single biggest financial decision that a young person makes, both where do I go to school? What do I study? Um, do I go to school? And so to have that important context, I think, super valuable. Yeah, most definitely. Well, thank you so much, Doug. I appreciate your help with this. Again, guys, if you haven't already, please pick up Family Inc. It's a great book full of information. And I love how you break it down, the numbers in the context of a family unit. So, Doug, if they want to get more information from you, ask you a question, pick up your book, where can they go? Sure. A couple easy ways. Uh, first of all, there's a website, familyinc.com. That's F-A-M-I-L-Y, Inc, I-N-C, period, dot com. And it's on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles. And uh, appreciate the interest in the sport. Special thanks to Doug for being a part of the show. If you're interested in learning more and checking out Doug's book, please go to familyinc.com. As always, I'll have all the info, detail, and resources in the show notes. And if you want to stay on top of the podcast, the videos, the articles release, make sure you're subscribed to Couple Money. I send out weekly updates with everything released, as well as behind the scenes and exclusive stuff. Plus, it's free. All you have to do is go to couplemoney.com slash join. Our theme song was written and performed by Gentle Regime. Additional music by Lee Rosevere and Music for Makers. Finally, and most importantly, thank you for supporting this show. If you think this episode can help someone out, could you please share it? I hope you have a great week. Take care. <laughs>